वेलकम टू सिंटॉक द सिंटॉकर्स अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द ट्रिक्स ऑफ ट्रांसमिशन विल थिंक अबाउट ट्रांसमिशन ऑफ एनर्जी मैटर एंड इंफॉर्मेशन अक्रॉस वेरियस डोमेन्स वाई लुकिंग फॉर फंडामेंटल डिफरेंसेज एंड सिमिलैरिटीज what exactly is a gene and what are its analogs how does replication happen are there deep similarities between linguistic and biological systems how do molecules become symbols how exactly do subjective ideas get transmitted how does matter or information copy itself what are the links between syntax and semantics content and context symbol and matter and more and can we talk to animals we are pleased and privileged to have three syntalkers with us here today dr sumit agrawal he is with the department of electrical engineering at iit delhi He is interested in artificial intelligence and the interface between AI and natural biological intelligence. Professor Subhash Lakhotia. He is with the Department of Zoology at BHU in Varanasi and is interested in research in gene expression and Ayurvedic biology. And Dr. Geeta Ramana, she teaches philosophy at University of Mumbai. and her interest areas are consciousness studies and philosophy of language so subhash why don't we set the ball rolling with you um maybe at a somewhat common place place of a gene because that that seems like a paradigmatic example of uh, an entity which which has something to do with transmission what exactly is a gene and how exactly does it manage to carry information in uh, in time and space well yes gene is the believed to be the central unit of inheritance of information mm-hmm. that makes an organism what it is mm-hmm. and this its definition has changed with time when mendel first uh, started with in 1860 so he 60s, had an intuition about something like a gene yeah, yeah he called it factor 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 and, and what he said was that this factor controls the phenotype or the appearance of the organism he had no idea of its material chemical or physical basis <laughs> how far back was this uh, this was in 1865 sure one of the very pioneer he was a priest <laughs> doing experiments and of his own choice and then published nobody knew what what he did for 35 years so he Till kind it, of anticipated the genotype phenotype uh, well he did in, in certain way but he didn't use these terms sure of course but he simply said there is a factor in mm-hmm. every individual which is transmitted in a certain way mm-hmm. that's we call laws of inheritance mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. mendelian laws of inheritance and then in 1900 it was those laws were rediscovered by other scientists mm-hmm. and then the science of genetics started Mm-hmm. The term gene. Once we knew about these molecular bases, that there's a DNA. So, what was the conception in 1900? What 1900? They didn't know. They they only knew that there is something which is passed on through the gametes to next generation, sure. which controls what that organism would be. 
but roughly what was the conception they had no idea so it it, it conception why is it still continue uh, to be something uh, like a factor as w- well mental? yes it it uh, with without without any knowledge of physical chemical basis sure but they knew that there is some entity mm-hmm. which in 1902 it was suggested these are on the chromosomes that are thread like structures <laughs> in a nucleus of every so organism so how, how does one even guess that it might be thread like well because they had seen on a microscope the chromosomes sure. chromosomes were seen but its chemistry was not known sure then slowly next 50 years it became understood that chromosomes have dna and they have proteins and so on hmm. and then in 1953 the dna structure was discovered the double helix structure sure and that led the real beginning of mechanistic understanding of a gene but when the structure of the gene was discovered was it broadly understood that there's some link between proteins and amino acids no, and chromosomes no, on the other that, side no not at that time right Uh, once the dna structure was known a russian physicist a theoretical physicist <laughs> by the name gamo suggested the first idea of a code right. that is a coded language right that's what was called a genetic code right which ultimately in 1964 so he was uh, the first to anticipate that its dna he, is something like a four digit number yes. something like that he, he actually suggested that there's a three letter code <laughs> I mean, so how does that happen how do you even come well, up well with something like that well you see like he, he his arguments were this that we have 20 amino acids in every biological system mm-hmm. 20 kinds and dna has only four bases mm-hmm. and if he argued that if there's a code then you have to have a universal code and so he argued that you can't have word sometimes made of one letter sometimes two letters so he argued that if you have three letter code we can make 64 words which is more than enough for 20 amino acids <laughs> very simple but elegant it's beautiful kind of uh, argument and beautiful. which ultimately turned out to be true hmm. and 1964 thanks to experiments by chemists like hargobind khurana right. ochoa and nirenberg and so on we actually had the definition of these 64 words right and that became the basis of all of our understanding that in the dna there are three letter sequences strings of uh, three letter words which the cell reads as by by process of transcription makes rna which is then translated just as we translate one language into another it's beautiful isn't using it? a dictionary that the cell knows how to read it and translate into a string of amino acids Mm-hmm. and the string of amino acid then determines what that function will be mm-hmm. this was the definition of gene mm-hmm. and the, one of the argument that happened was all right if this is what it is uh, how many proteins we need to make and people calculated and they realized we are too much of dna in our cell that too much of dna too much of dna and and which with the genome sequencing it turned out that okay the dna that makes proteins will account at the most for 2% of the total dna that a cell has right A cell in humans has a DNA length almost more than a meter. Right. It's enormous DNA. The length uh, of DNA is two meters. In each cell. Right. Uh, of all the forty-six chromosomes that are there, if you put the DNA together, that will be like like this. And so he, they, so then there was a question: What is this ninety-eight percent DNA doing? Hmm. And Crick gave a very simplified uh, Crick and others that this is junk and selfish. <laughs> which many biologists didn't agree i was one who didn't agree right because right. to us it appeared that in a biological system where evolution takes place and there's a premium on every wasteful expenditure to have 90% of dna not doing anything and just, just surviving just principles of economy didn't, didn't make, make sense. sense but yeah. then this is how biology went on for 20 years after crick gave uh, crick and others gave this idea in 1981 that is only protein coding gene which is important rest is useless right but now we have come back completely this 98% dna is very important so tell me we'll get back to this <clears throat> but when we think of dna for example subhash the 
so these are very very similar to alphabets like four letters they're literally four alphabets well, well these are four, four chemicals letters. four chemicals of a defined structure so four chemicals of a defined structure so yes. they they are in in a way these are molecules masquerading as symbols the, yes they these are molecules which will symbolize which because but because which we of symbolize. because of their molecular properties they function as symbols they hmm. have certain properties which the cell can read hmm. whether it's guanine it's adenine it's cytosine or thymine hmm. or uridine the cell can that that's the basis of chemistry that which makes the whole biological system work sure same laws of chemistry and physics that we apply everywhere is what applies in biology sure so there's a chemical interaction physical interaction by which every other molecule can identify the shape of it chemical structure of it and accordingly the information is communicated transmitted to the next uh, no we'll get event. back to this yeah. we'll get back to this so sumit does this strike you as odd that uh, four different chemical molecules are almost acting as symbols and you know everything is thereafter there's some kind of a um combinatorial build up from there and are there similarities whether in computational linguistics or elsewhere and as you design artificial systems is is the method or the methodology or the underlying principles largely the same yeah so i think this is really one of the fascinating things and for me personally what got me into biology was reading about this genetic code and you know these these symbols because for the first time you saw that you know behind something as complex as life there is actually a, a systematic encoding right and and the information that is transmitted from one generation to the next is being transmitted not only through genes i think we'll come later to epigenetics you know there's a lot of newer stuff now that is happening sure. so the centrality of the gene is r- reduced compared to perhaps what it was but sure. uh, yeah so so this idea that you know that through evolution these systems have come up with this you know ingenious way of encoding information and uh, also inherent in the encoding itself so what, is so what is information in this context in this what is biological information so we have these four different atcg we have these uh, four different molecules which which we which we might symbolize but still we still have to make that leap from there to having something which is an information right so what is information is it just some kind of a configuration of matter or yeah in this case it is right so so again when you ask what is information so the best answer we have to that right now is uh, what claude shannon and others came up with this notion of uh, information theory which says that uh, information is uh, the number of different states that a system can have and you know so uh, if you if you have a, a sequence of symbols as you call these uh, these four dna bases and each one can take on four states so then for a sequence of 3 for example you have 64 possibilities right. so therefore you have an information system which has you know which can inform you about which one of these 64 you want right and and what is happening inside the gene is essentially you have a recipe for constructing a protein where you know every three sequence uh, dna string called a codon is coding for a particular amino acid which then makes the protein so, so but this is still uh, all a very syntactical kind of framework isn't it yeah i mean so like would you would you make that link and jump from uh, something genetic to something linguistic because i mean you know the linguistic richness is different uh, of, of course you have letters coming together and some of them make sense and some of them don't uh, but the sense in which we use the word information and meaning is very different in in, in daily language isn't it so is there is there something equally rich on the other side not 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 using it in a virtuous sense but just to 
just to get the message across yeah i think so we we understand language much less i would say but there do seem to be some common principles and in fact you can see that in the use of language as well so as subhash said translation and transcription these terms are used for the processes of conversion from mm. dna to rna and rna to protein which in fact are terms that come from language mm. so so clearly and i would say it involves both syntax and semantics in in some sense mm. i mean drawing the boundary between those two is not always straightforward so clearly you have you have a syntax which says that you you have these words of length 3 and there's they're arranged in a sequence there are particular words that tell you the start and stop of a gene right? sure. so just like punctuation in in, in natural language hmm. uh, and then so so that's the the syntax of the language that so is so what would semantics be so the semantics i guess would be the protein that comes out of it right so and and that so when we talk of semantics we typically are thinking of you know how do linguistic symbols get interpreted in the world right you talk about grounding you talk about how it gets converted to meaning so for proteins you you get a chain of amino acids which is produced by a ribosome uh, which is just translating the the sort of recipe but then the chemical properties of those amino acids determine that the protein folds up in a particular way that it has a particular set of functions inside the cell so so there's a lot of kind of implicit information in the in the context of the cell as well which Uh, determines how a protein will will behave does that resonate um, with you subhash yes it does because see the when you talk of semantics and syntax i just give a common example sure in language let's say we use three words i am going sure somebody who knows this language understands the meaning sure S- using same word i can say am i going sure going am i am sure now the three same three words put in context result in very different interpretations sure they transmit very different information in different ways same thing in genes and proteins uh, now of course so here are there are there similarly a lot of meaningless combinations there are some meaningless combination but then meaningless we say right now we don't understand right but whether they have very that's, that's the point you were making a yes, while ago that yes. if if something has come to be after several cycles of evolution yes, then it's yes. unlikely that it's no, totally no, meaningless no, no that part we now understand that yes the non coding of the junk dna the non coding rna and the dna itself has enormous role in in what we call regulation mm-hmm. which make the rules or the grammar of the you see it's like this let's say uh, i inherit a gene which give me a particular sh- shape of the nose sure right now that gene is not no of shape the gene is only or that set of genes are only information <laughs> but to make a nose it the cells must divide in a particular direction certain number of times now this information that's regulation right and this regulation comes from what we call as non coding right the the proteins only carry the information what to do but when to do how to do how much to do so there's some manner of relaying instructions yes something of that sort yes and and, and which we still don't understand sure how the structure is finally made from this information we are just beginning to understand the basic alphabets right we still right. don't know the grammar we still don't know the higher order of this language still but then it's becoming known as we are moving along and i personally feel evolution languages mm-hmm. and evolution genetic information has enormous commonality yeah we'll get back to that that's a, yeah. that's a tantalizing thing what is syntax and semantics kita as we think of it in the philosophy of language context um in the and, philo- and does any of this resonate with you uh yeah i'm just picking up certain concepts here particularly what uh, professor said about non coding 
and i think that's a very interesting concept mm-hmm. another concept that i found very interesting when he started off he said how uh, genes uh, are a factor that decide about what a thing is what makes it what it is right. and this resonates uh, uh, the aristotelian tradition of trying to identify an object mm-hmm. in terms of what it is Mm-hmm. and what it is is identified in terms of some kind of the functionality the purpose or its ability to perform in a certain way mm-hmm. and uh, that i thought was very interesting in defining a thing in what it is mm-hmm. another thing that uh, comes up i think in terms of um, syntax and semantics is that in language syntax is about grammar the grammatical structure of of uh, sentence and semantics is of course goes beyond language into a non-linguistic realm and tries to uh, determine the value that a sentence will have but in terms of but is that entirely subjective truth. at least when we if, we if we go away from the biological realm and think about um, it now it, in in philosophy the the problem of semantics is uh, i think the problem of meaning is also trying to understand the meaning of meaning in different uh context sure. in genetics as uh, uh sumit just spoke he gave a very different sense of what meaning was in terms of what exactly the uh, output of a transmission of a certain um, configuration would do that was the meaning of it. but in language which is uh, a very uniquely human ability uh the understanding of the structure of language mm-hmm. and understanding what it points to uh takes you out of language so there are a lot of assumptions that human language has okay and one of the assumption is that you've got some young linguistic realm that language is pointing to on the what other what does that mean pointing uh, uh, to in the sense that if i say this is a pen then this is because the structure is grammatical mm-hmm. but what it is saying the content of that sentence mm-hmm. is, is pointing to because something real is, in the outer yes, world yes or it is because so the relationship between language so there is a correspondence between uh, that's the whole point is yeah. there a, uh, a reason why i say this is a pen and not a chalk piece that world word fit angle uh, something like that but sure. there are three uh, pointers here one mm-hmm. is of course language and the uh, what it is pointing to mm-hmm. if the function of language is to describe the world mm-hmm. then what is that kind of world that we are talking about mm-hmm. and who is it that is describing so there is the problem of intentionality the problem of uh, how that language is uh, represented mm-hmm. via intentionality and uh, the world so i look at it in this kind of a triad right. where you have language and language cannot be understood uh, uh, although it has been logically conceptualized in terms of propositions and so on but the content of language uh, has to do with largely if we want to represent language it has to do with uh, the nature of representation the nature of representation takes us to the uh, its content its content takes us to the world and the intentionality and when you say world is it almost the same as making that link between genotype and phenotype is it, like is it possible to understand some kind of a genotype if you know nothing about the phenotype if you know what i mean other instances where you know you know the you don't know the expression side of things but you know the the it has a chemical yes, entity see, it has a and so yeah, on so yeah this can have but then uh, what what geeta said about this is a pen mm. now we define pen should mean this thing 
Right. We have already un- we have given that name. This name is not built in in the system, sure. and that's how language has evolved. In biological systems, the situation may be slightly different mm-hmm. in the sense that we have these codons, mm-hmm. which will mean one amino acid, mm-hmm. but then. Just as in alphabets, in a language, the order of the alphabets will make the word different. Sure. So these amino acid sequence coming in. But then what has happened is, unlike the word pin up being our definition, mm-hmm. which we have given, you may call it pin, you may call it column in different languages, there are different names, sure. but they mean same thing. In biological system, this variation is not allowed. Right. A code, 64 codons, by and large, 99.9%, whether it's virus, whether it's bacteria, whether it's plant, whether it's animal, has same meaning in terms of amino acid. Do we share the same gene? Do different organisms? We, we share the same information rules. Mm-hmm. Some genes may be shared. 90% similarity between a bacterium and a human. Some genes so it's have identical. Almost identical. We can literally replace one with the other and it would be the yes, same. Yes, we can. We can. That's, that's where the beauty of the biological system comes in. Mm-hmm. That's how we do all the genetic engineering, that we can put a human gene into Drosophila, we can put in a yeast or a bacterium and make the same protein. Right. Because the rules are same. Right. And, and this is where the, uh, unlike in languages... But why do you say more or less, Subhash? Well, because there have been some variations that has happened. It's not 100% identical. Mm-hmm. But even if it's 70% identical, it does the same function. And therefore, it can replace a gene between one organ to the other. And, and this has been done. That's how we have so many models for human diseases in different organs. Like I work in Drosophila using uh, Huntington gene of man and see what it does. Right. So this is because the rules are common. So the fundamental unit has a very high degree of similarity. But does that hold for languages? If I mean, if a dog has a certain language and we have a certain language, we sh- clearly don't share well, well, the same. Now, 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 the language may be different, but the genetic language is similar. That's what I'm trying to say, that the language that we speak for day-to-day communication, transfer of information of what we, I think, and what I want to communicate to you, transmit to you, that will depend on which language I'm talking about. But Mm -hmm. that language, all these languages, I believe, have also evolved from a common source. Mm -hmm. You see, for example, I I may take this example, Pitri, Feter, and Father, and so and so forth. These have evolved from common source, but what has happened is, that as different people speak differently, there have been variations. But in biological system, this kind of variations have not been But is been it likely allowed. that the inner language is similar? If we call it mentalese or, I don't know, any other term. What The problem with inner language is very complex because if you say inner, inner to what? If you're talking of the genetic code, it is... It is, uh, well, inner if we are not uh, looking at through the microscope, but otherwise it is inner inside. And this is a very misleading term, according to me, mm-hmm. because this inner-outer divide that has taken place in philosophy uh, sometimes can be a little uh, misleading because relative to language and relative to mind and relative to knowledge, these distinctions can play a different role. So I'm just trying to, again... But at least the DNA in the way you explain it, Subhash, is a lot more fundamental than the, at least the spoken language that we may have or the written language that that we may have. Because the spoken language, ultimately an outcome of DNA is consequence. DNA is manifestation. Hmm. Because the DNA is evolved, so each organism has evolved a different kind of sound-producing system. And therefore they will have different sound, different meanings. You see, for example, uh, I mean, I just tell you, uh, in Devanagari, there are 36 consonants. 
in fact i'm trying to go even beyond human beings so one is yeah. to say that you know there are different languages for human beings where are you on this sumit do you know what we're trying to get at we're trying to understand if if language is in the sense that we understand it and not necessarily the genetic language the genetic language seems to be highly consistent and fundamental across different species uh, you would agree with that yes um is it likely that that, that holds true for language of communication uh, across different species or even we can even go to the domain of artificial systems yeah so uh, i guess most i know we're in the speculative territory but yeah <laughs> so i guess uh, most of what we know is with respect to human language if you think of communication systems in in other species of course we know they exist you have bird song you have sort of dolphins have pretty intricate intricate Uh, sound systems but uh, i don't know much about you know how they would relate to to natural sure. language there is some sense that you know certain aspects of grammatical structure are 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 sort of shared but certainly within human languages uh, although there is tremendous diversity and the the examples that uh, professor lakotia gave about uh, vocabulary being common is true let's say for Indo-Aryan languages, which come from a particular family, but you look at Chinese or Japanese, sure, the the vocabulary will not be the same. But but there seem to be certain grammatical principles which Chomsky called universal grammar, and you know there have been many manifestations of it, principles and parameters. So so our language certainly seems to be constrained by our biology, and uh, there seem to be certain uh, whether they are at the level of DNA or not is is perhaps a different question. I mean, you might say that it's not encoded just in DNA because uh biological information also happens at many levels and when you're thinking of language perhaps a more relevant level to think about is the neural level right how is information encoded in the brain and uh, what's the answer to that so uh, from what we know i mean the the brain is just a giant network of of neurons and there's quite a lot of work now on on modeling how neurons behave and how they talk to each other so one simple way to think of it is that neurons are a bit like electrical switches which uh, integrate a bunch of different inputs and then either fire or don't fire and this whole area of neural networks which is very prominent in artificial intelligence so coming back to your right. your question about artificial systems so the most successful kinds of artificial systems today are based on models of the brain Uh, very simple mathematical models but models that try to emulate how neurons work and how they interact so neural networks deep learning is a popular term these days and these models are doing very well for linguistic tasks for vision tasks uh, and so again what's the nature of information in these kind of systems is it again configurational does it merely have to do with uh how is the nature of biological information in the manner in which it might be encoded in genes in dna different from the manner in which uh, the nervous system works are they how are they different yeah so that again is a is an interesting question uh one i mean there do seem to be a set of differences so one kind of information encoding roughly speaking could be called symbolic and of course dna is a good example of that so you have a set of arbitrary symbols typically arranged sort of linearly and you have some kind of grammar syntax and semantics which map from symbols to meaning right uh the nature of neural information seems to be so you can literally go from arbitrary to creating a fairly consistent set of meaning right i mean because the beginning is arbitrary yeah the initial set of symbols is kind of arbitrary right uh, the initial set of you know characters or uh units in in the language but the the process of 
I guess defining a language is to create this mapping from symbols to to meanings, mm. which which goes through syntax and semantics. And then of course the language has a productive aspect to it. So you you don't need to learn the meaning of every sentence. Of course you have certain rules by which you can combine existing words to come up with completely new sentences. So but that is symbolic information. Sure. In the brain or in these kind of neural networks even if I talk about the sort of artificial intelligence models that we have uh information seems to be represented in a much more distributed fashion. Uh so it's not it's harder to pin down that you know there's there's a particular word that has a certain meaning or if you think of so how does a neural network have information about language? And you look at the best tools we have you look at google translate for example or any of the natural language processing tools that these big companies are developing they're all based on these kinds of neural network models but but when you say distributed what does it mean like what is distributed i think it's easier to get get one's head around the symbolic language business and of course one understands the imagery or the visuality of distributed language but how is it how is it st- is, uh, i don't know if, i don't even know if stored is the right word what happens yeah so actually it's a big area of of debate and i mean geeta might actually have a better sense from the philosophical side uh but yeah it's it's harder to pin down so as you say it's not so easy to to describe but it's some sort of distributed uh information across neurons let's say so you can't always say that you know one neuron corresponds to one concept or one neuron corresponds to one word you might have a collection of neurons for example that will fire for a particular concept let's say the concept of uh, but that is distinct from saying that there are 100 neurons and depending on whether they're on or off it has a certain meaning it's not it's not that because that would again go into the symbolic territory well it is like that but uh, it's it's not quite symbolic because uh, you know each neuron cannot exactly be treated like you know a, a switch yeah and also not exactly like a symbol right which which plays yeah. a particular role so you could have so the nervous system is more computational what what, what happens there so at least some aspects of it we seem to have been able to emulate on computers uh, there is a debate about you know certain other things and of course more subjective aspects like consciousness uh, qualia as it's called you know subjective experience those are much harder to imagine as a sort of computational properties but at least in terms of uh, how we do certain kinds of cognitive tasks whether in the language or vision domains or others so what kind uh, of information is there in the nervous system because if if there were to be information about how our nose is as subhash was pointing out or at least something that needs to have a heritable characteristic it's probably stored in that kind of a system uh and i would imagine that heritable information is not there in the nervous system right yeah not directly so of course yeah we as far as we know you don't so you're you're kind of so is there uh, a way of splitting and, information into two parts um one so there is the classic kind of uh, uh germ cell versus somatic cell sort of divide right so what you pass on to your children is through the germ cells and all the other cells in the body including of course the neurons in the brain are somatic cells so yeah so there's no direct transmission mechanism that way you don't pass on uh you know what is in your mind in your brain to to children but uh, so there's no way subhash where see what uh, i would put it like that the, the brain functioning i mean obviously there's enormous dark Uh, and black hole there or the brain sure, there's lots that we don't understand but then uh, i would put it our computational language that we are using is again uh, emulating the language that brain uses 
It's because of our intuitive thinking that we thought of computer language, binary language, or whatever you call it. That's right. But because brain, again, let's say one billion neurons. Each neuron can have, on an average, thousand connections, and these are not stable connections. So it's a continuously dynamic, uh, combinatorial thing that is happening. And it's a network. So. Uh, it's a network. And yeah. what, what we still do not know is the physical and chemical base of memory, which it must have, which we still have to understand. But but what you said about the inheritance of the brain or thinking yeah, and so Yeah, that's an important about, distinction, isn't yeah. it? See, mm. what happens is when the genotype that we pass on through our germs, germ cells to the next generation, will determine a broad range within which the brain can develop. The basic structure of the which part is larger, that may have a genetic basis. But then much of the brain development is, again, what we now begin to understand in epigenetic terminology, mm -hmm. that on the DNA... And because of the environment, that's what we call phenotype in a way, that's the broad outcome of this, sure. depends upon your own learning experience, your own physiological experiences, all that will decide how actually the brain will develop, which part of it will develop. For example, there have been a lot of studies that if somebody gets blind very early, mm -hmm. the optic part of the brain gets reduced mm -hmm. and the auditory or olfactory part becomes larger. So when you see epigenetic changes, what do you mean? Epigenetic changes means that, that you see you have genetic information, but which information will be available, not made available, or how much it will be available, when it will be available, this is what is regulated by what we call a gene regulation process. And there are lots of ways that this can be done. And sure. this is a, once it becomes determined, when that cell divides, same kind of information passes on. But what is important in epigenetics is partly that even what we think in the brain, now we know it can be passed on to next generation. That's the question. Yes. Um, now, now there's very so clear it, evidence that there is a transmission. So what do you mean by that? What That, that you see, typically... These are not are, ideas or memories, no, right? No, no. no not ideas or memories. So but, what is but, it? But you see, what he said that there's a divide between germ cells and somatic cells. Sure. In history of biology, Lamarck long back had stated that depending upon use and disuse, your next progeny becomes, which which was partly wrong. But now we realize partly it was also true. What <laughs> what we learned was that okay, only that the, the DNA that passes through the germ cells is the one that determines the next generation. But then, besides DNA, now we know other molecules also pass, mm. including RNA mm -hmm. and proteins, mm -hmm. which can then modify. What the DNA will do, that's what we call epigenetic modification. Sure. And, sure. and, and this is coming up in the last 10 years. There's in more and more understanding. Interestingly, this idea of epigenetics was given way back in 1942, even before DNA was known. Right. Uh, uh, somebody had given this idea. From I think the question, uh, Subhash, is, and we'll go around the table and just try and discuss this, is that why don't memories get transferred from one generation to another? What and clearly it has to do something with the nature of that information. It has, yes, is, is, it, is it largely transient? Is it configurational? Is it is it because because the nature of that information must be different, and the yes, manner in which it is stored yes. must be different. Memory, we still don't know what the nature is, but I would believe and that it has to have a physical and chemical basis, just like we store in computers memory. It has a magnetic or some kind of similarly in our system we still don't know but it must have a some physical and chemical basis so when you say physical and chemical basis you mean that it should eventually be a molecule or yes some kind of molecular configurations that's what what, I, do, you, what do you say to that sumit yeah so i think uh, so there is no memory molecule 
not a single molecule i i guess but uh, so if i have a certain memory or if i experience something and that creates a corresponding memory even if transient that does not correspondingly create some kind of a molecule it, somewhere see, within me see part of the problem is that when we talk about humans we often think of transmission of information only through sound for example sure. when you talk to each other but in biological system information is transmitted in numerous ways chemicals mm-hmm. sound heat light all these are also vehicles of transmission but of eventually the manifestation must be chemical must right. be chemical and physical yes and this is what one would imagine memory has to have that basis mm. but why it is not transmitted in next generation is that germ cell somatic cell di- divide certain molecules can travel from one cell to the other and can get into the germ cells as well but certain molecules cannot it's only neurons that are the property of using that information interpreting are all it. the neurons identical no are all the neurons identical sumit like not do neurons go from one generation to another the same it's not the same as a gene right obviously not yeah of course neurons don't i mean characteristically only, they're not yeah so the only information that goes is what is in the in the sort of egg and sperm cells right and sure. that contains as we know some epigenetic stuff other than the dna which can influence let's say the development so the interesting thing to sort of think about here is the relationship of evolution to development the whole area of evo devo is called yeah. so uh, you know many people are are starting to think about how how does developmental biology sort of uh, uh, lead to the production of characteristics and and there a lot of epigenetic things are are happening but of course there's no direct transmission and so you know your neurons and your particular memories and experiences and so on of course are all unique and in terms of how you know the physical and chemical basis for that of course we don't understand it fully no but, but do we understand enough to know that it cannot have a physical and chemical basis because the only very fact is that no it must to have physical and chemical basis memories memory yes but we when you say memory transmitted to next generation yeah we transmit it through our language no that's fine not biologically that's fine i think we yes. then we get into the cultural and social <laughs> yes, level yes. as opposed to yeah. how are artificial systems different uh, geeta if you think of it at the level of from a philosophy of language standpoint um clearly when a computer does something it doesn't understand what it's doing right it's just processing right. so th- that that's essentially the question a computer can do what it's doing without really understanding what it's doing right 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 so if there are two memories in terms of uh, what he said there are there are two memory systems in two computers uh, would it be the same no if i if i if we want to put in a memory of um perceiving rainfall and you know in humans two memories don't give you the same kind of a um memory because they're not the same substrate hmm? so I mean, two uh, hard disks are same but two so two brains or two bodies are not the same memories. because interpretation comes in our individual experiences which modify the actual fact the actually when rain is rain one common thing how you perceive how i perceive how she would perceive depends on what experiences we had associated with rain what emotions are attached within and what particular mood i one is in at that but, moment but here we so are assuming fine. that there is first an experience of this and then an interpretation yes but whether the fact that we remember a certain thing in a certain way itself is not impregnated with the experience that we've already had you know can we really separate the interpretation and the memory of something 
here we are assuming that this is possible well i i would put it like I'm this that you see i'm wondering if this is yeah, really possible that that one event is happening but your interpretation will depend upon what is the other components of memory are associated with that kind of event in your brain which will not be same in mine right and and therefore interpretation become different so i think that's that's the key word right associative it, it probably has to it is probably relational probably associative probably has to do with what you already have and yes. then the new information comes in you know sits sits with that in some relation to that that's, but that's at this point it's not just the information that this has happened or this uh, i remember x but it is also that this particular experience that i have got has transformed into some kind of a knowledge yes you see and this right. concept that i have got some information that is not just uh, bits of data but it is also a knowledge that has some connection with reality in terms of how things are and how things are not is my memory uh, right was this the um, uh, right memory that i have got this is what you have if you think of the past uh, i remember x is it true you immediately have this question to ascertain so the concept of memory is also linked with what uh, not only has happened but also with whether it is true and in that sense this uh, concept becomes a little um, there is some kind of a knowledge uh, element here and you are aware that and because of there is a knowledge element there is a concept of truth that comes in here sure how can whether this can be understood within a system can this conceptual understanding of what i have uh, and therefore gains understanding and therefore meaning is it part of my internal system that is a very important question for uh, this representing this is even more fuzzy than memory right yeah, because <laughs> because you want to represent memory right sure so even if you take memory which is supposed to be a very static uh, it it won't do anything it's not active it's not imagination it's just memory you think yes i can represent it because you know i can figure out what it's represented on maybe in a gene or something like that but the moment you talk about it you even change your memory you know there's so many things happening when you remember right and in that sense there is some kind of a cycle that takes place you remember something and that stores gets stored into memory the question that i think would be relevant is since we are talking of genetics how is this actually whether this whole process is internally uh, uh, realized or does it require some kind of a necessary relationship uh beyond itself no in terms of either you, the world you mean does it need an interaction with the interaction world interaction with the world as well as the subject which is now interpreting like you said this thing will it not change the very character of what you are doing in terms of memory no and that would be the difference between a computer and a human being a computer which has to memorize we'll just put the back button no it goes back whereas a human being which has to go back and say let me remember what i just said 2 minutes ago is not go going to come to out state. in the same yeah. way the yeah. same page comes back on the computer but when we had to you know do this uh, conversation again uh, it's not going to come out the same way right right that brings me to one question that i i may pause philosophically 
we understand there's nothing like absolute truth or what we what we say is real because even the world that we perceive we interpret is as our senses communicate and our brain permits sure same thing when looked at by an ant or by a lizard will give a very else. different perception so for them Absolutely. this same room will look well different than what it looks to us sure so sure. so so that interpretation is a very relative interpretation depending upon what kind of sensory inputs we give and how our brain is geared to i think the question in a way is that is that process interpretative and i know these are just words or is that just hard nosed processing right i mean i think in a way we are in the territory of strong and weak ai and is there does 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 something need a semantic descriptive interpretative character at all or it's essentially very complex processing of information and you know whether it's why rna or other other things of that sort the algorithm is available and it may be very very complex so where are we on that sumit is it is it possible to and i know you kind of referred to some translate tools and things of that sort but in the super long run as we iterate this over the next 100 200 300 500 years um do you think that it's possible to create or approximate biological systems artificially so some aspects of them we have already been able to replicate fairly successfully in fact even from the perspective of maybe 15 20 years ago the progress has been remarkable i mean today we are talking about things like self driving cars they are already sort of being tried i mean the technology behind all of those is actually a very sophisticated simulation of human intelligence you know how humans respond to a wide variety of environmental stimuli how they take decisions and a lot of it is actually built up on these simple mathematical models of neurons and networks of neurons that sort of thing so certain aspects we seem to have you know done a pretty good job of replicating which doesn't mean that our replications work in the same way as the brain does right so what we can say is that this model replicates some of the input output behavior but so you're saying that just because you're able to approximate that behavior or computationally doesn't mean that we our, our systems are computationally you're not saying that yeah not necessarily i mean it does suggest that i would say and you know people are now in this whole area of cognitive science really trying to look more closely at this can the the sorts of representations and information processing that go on in these computational systems which we precisely know because we have designed those systems right. can they be mapped onto what is happening in the brain right uh, and what are the differences so at some level uh, you know this kind of biological intelligence and information processing we we have a handle on but then there are so many of these other things so intentionality Uh, as you know sarl pointed out i mean so that debate between strong ai and weak ai is is still there and many of these things it's even hard to know so what is intentionality for an artificial system so i guess the idea of intentionality is that uh, any any kind of action you take or any any sort of linguistic utterance let's say it it sort of maps onto entities in the world in in some sense so uh, and and I mean Searle's Chinese room argument was basically saying that you can have a, a computer which uh, like Google Translate or a very sophisticated version of that you know shows all the behavioral signs of being able to understand and communicate in Chinese let's say but without without really understanding but anything but it would seem at least intuitively that it has no understanding of Chinese because somehow how could the computer have intentionality how could it uh, you know understand that this language is being used to talk about certain things in the world certain people in the world relationships between people in the world right so but again that is that is what our intuition tells us and people who 
who are sort of against Searle's argument would say that, well, it's it's perhaps your intuition that's going wrong. If you if you develop a sufficiently powerful computer, mm-hmm. uh, then it would have that understanding. And what else could we be but such computers? Right? So that would be one argument. But I think our intuition fails us here because the kinds of computers we are familiar with are are, are very limited in in terms of these kinds of things. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I think the one other question I want to bring up, Subhash, is this business of let's say the gene copying itself. Right. There seems to be something very fundamental about it, um, and something very interesting and paradoxical about it. How 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 is an entity able to copy itself, replicate itself, and is is, the, is that well, at the heart of how? Uh, this is the basic property of the, of the chemicals that make DNA, mm-hmm. chemicals that make enzymes. Mm-hmm. That because of the chemical configuration, the chemical structure, they are bound to have this property. Bound to. Yes. <laughs> this, this, this is inherent. This is nothing that has uh, been designed. This uh, and, and and this is where we begin to think of origin of life. Once those chemicals happen to be formed by accident, then we were bound to have that kind of replication process going on. And then evolution, natural selection will favor this because then these molecules, which had this property, could copy themselves and perpetuate. But you see, th- this is where one may look paradoxical, but which is essential for life is that while we say replication process is absolutely accurate, if there's an A here, right. you have to a have T, a. you have G, you have to have C. Sure. Very in, kind of inviolate loss. If this were absolutely inviolate, we would have remained for 250 billion years only the primitive cell. Right. The fact that we evolved, that once in a while, there's a probabilistic error that happens. Uh-huh. And therefore, you get variations. That uh-huh. all right, A was replaced by T. If it didn't make any sense, it gets lost. Sure. But if it makes some sense, and if that sense gives a little advantage under one condition, that's what we say, natural selection. And so in this, that's how we have got all this di- life diversity. I think the question is, how does it copy itself? How? It, th- this is pure chemical process. Nothing uh, great about it. You have DNA molecule. I can take in a test tube. Uh-huh. Pure DNA molecule, I add an enzyme, DNA polymerase, add the precursors, and you'll get it. <laughs> you don't need a cell. Because this is its inherent property of these chemicals. The particular enzyme, you have to give a particular enzyme, you can't get any protein. Sure. Only that particular enzyme can read A and place a T and make a chemical bond with the preceding base and the following base. Sure. That's that, because that amino acid sequence which is again determined by the genes that it had. So it's a, you know, uh, and, and that's where I think computation learned all of this from uh, the feedback loops. And and so we have the common question, philosophical class, which came first, the egg or the chick? Sure. <laughs> because it, it's a continuing, once it happened, when the first life molecule happened to be formed by accident, it had that property to perpetuate. And do you think of copying in a mimetic sense, Geeta? Uh, I was just wondering about what he said, that there is a lot of simulation at a certain level of noodles sure. and cells and so on. Uh, I'm just curious about how does one, a biologist, look at the entire life that has come up now? We are able to understand the the minute uh, organization of each part of our body. But at the holistic level, at the level of the whole. At the emergent level. The, yeah, at the emergent level, as a human being, you've just suddenly got a cell and you've got a life. 
or human life how does the life now function it but, certainly doesn't function in the way you are describing each and but every but in that sense cell. Uh, yeah right. I mean, a, a, a five celled so, bacteria or whatever a yeah. though everything is part of it, it it's not working in that way there's something else that is happening that makes it what it is right yes. and in that sense uh, would uh, biology or uh, some kind of a um uh, analysis uh, help us put all of this together in a way that will help us understand what is the genetic non coding as you said that is happening here where the transmission of everything is taking place but the resultant is completely different yes uh, partly because in biological systems some mathematicians think biology and mathematics are very different because in matter 2 plus 2 is always 4 but in <laughs> biology we we make one fundamental point some of parts is not equal to whole right that's because and that's where computational language has learned is it's an interactive system it's a network system and therefore the moment you break the network you have the components but you can't build the humpty dumpty couldn't put be put together yeah, again, again because we have lost that organization it's this organization that we need to understand in physical and chemical and mathematical terms and and we still are far far away when you say we have learned minutes that minutes is still very gross we need to understand for example brain function artificial intelligence or this and i'm sure as you said in last 10 15 years we made tremendous progress fuzzy language and all this and computation as we learn more about brain function as we learn more about memory about neural interactions i'm sure computational power will be very very well developed and that's where one worry comes will computer take over us Human in intelligence yes that's that's the but then hopefully unless we get that organization set up self sustaining network organization the life life's basis is network system and which is self sustaining self maintaining organization which is not does not happen i said dna you can replicate in 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 vitro in a test tube but you can't make a cell in test tube because you need to have all those molecules which we still do not know what all those molecules are we know some of them but not every molecule if the day we know this yes we we will be able to perhaps create that so you can't, make a, you can't make a cell in a test tube hmm? you can't make a cell in a no, test tube no not yet people have tried to make some bacteria in this test tube hmm. using but again they needed some living system from which to take those components hmm. you can't do it completely you can't make a completely artificial cell no not yet because we still do not know what everything makes a cell how to put them all in a particular order that cell can do it itself because of those inherent property that these molecules have we still don't know those and therefore we can't make a cell in this we can grow a cell from a pre-existing cell we can make it differentiate that's what stem cell biology does so that's replication process Th- that's a replication division process we give a signal we give a stimulus and it changes but the, you you cannot just take okay i will order these chemicals put them together and make a cell no not yet other 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 computational or artificial system analogs of words like genes and cells yeah so one way to what would a of, gene be in that world so the most general way to think of a gene is just as uh, a piece of information that uh, has a has a sort of linguistic structure right as we discussed it it sort right. of carries a recipe for for a protein and so on so uh, i mean one general way to sort of think of the process of evolution uh, more abstractly is as a kind of optimization process right so what is happening is that certain information is getting transmitted 
and as professor lokotia said there is some error that happens randomly there and so you generate a pool of variants and then the good ones get selected through natural selection and the bad ones uh, tend to die out so that idea of using uh, a sort of pool of replicators that replicate with some probability of error of mutation has actually been transformed into a way of doing optimization which is called evolutionary computing genetic algorithms which has been applied across a wide range of artificial systems so the thought is that uh, you know this is one way that nature has discovered to essentially develop optimal systems right to to kind of come up with systems that are better and better at dealing with the environment at processing certain kinds of information and responding in certain ways at surviving in the environment reproducing in the environment and uh, and and that same idea has been adopted by a bunch of artificial systems uh, in in different contexts it turns out to be a very powerful idea that i mean darwin's idea basically that you know you can just by this undirected process uh, of uh, of natural selection get to extremely sophisticated things and uh, yeah so yeah yeah, yeah yeah if i can add to what sumit has been saying please that and which he said partly that see when computer language has evolved it has evolved directionality because we want it like this whereas when biological systems evolve you think there's so you're saying it's, there's it's, an element of design yes in computational language computational evolution there's not enough room for accidents no there's more <laughs> of design change whereas in biological system there's absolutely no design it's completely random and 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 this is where it differs from everything else and and that's where the chaos theory becomes very important that out of chaos we get order it's an oxymoron but is it possible to introduce some randomness into artificial systems and see if they can somehow have characteristics which is which is in a way what you're saying a while yeah, ago yeah so there is randomness i mean so again we we are we are not at the stage of having no design at all right so any artificial system starts with a human sort of putting some thought into it putting some design into it but increasingly a lot of these systems including uh, the kinds of neural networks i was referring to earlier uh, the the design aspect is not as much as you might have thought so in the early days of artificial intelligence it was very precisely designed so it's like you somebody wrote down a set of rules right. you know if you if you see a red traffic light you stop i mean so at that level but you can imagine how many such rules you would need to describe the full process <laughs> of driving a car it would be like an infinite set and the point is you cannot describe human behavior just by a set of rules because you would come across a situation that you have never seen before right. and you know you still are able to reason about it in some way so the the best models we have today are based on on learning and this whole area of of machine learning which is now a, a major part of artificial intelligence which is what these neural networks and so on are doing is that you you start with some fairly general principles and then you gradually evolve i mean i'm i'm using the word evolve in a more general sense not exactly in the biological sense but the system is through experience sort of evolving to respond better and better to to different kinds of uh, situations in the world and in fact biological evolution uh can also be thought of as a kind of learning which is a very interesting idea that yeah. has come into the literature only quite recently uh so normally when we use learning in the in the kind of normal english sense we are talking about learning within one person's lifetime right so you learn how to speak a language you learn how to walk sure. and so on as as, a, as sure. an infant uh but if you think of the process of intergenerational transmission of information right as you we were discussing the information you have got by your parents through your genes and they got it from their parents and so on through the generations now that information is is subtly changing and it's changing in such a way as to promote things that 
work better in the environment so you can actually model that process of evolution itself as a kind of intergenerational learning yeah and you know you can you can imagine that the storehouse of everything that has been learnt through the generations is now in my in my dna yeah and so so that idea of of evolution in your dna or other channels yeah dna plus let's say you know epigenetic channels as well but so w- uh, what what are the different information channels no no but then besides this what you say about the dna and epigenetic we have enormous things in books and experience yeah. that we are <laughs> transmitting from generation to generation which is entirely non genetical yeah. experience based yeah learning that we have gone incremental learning that happens every generation that is an additional sort of transmission but which sure, but which, I think which, which which gives rise to cultures philosophies and ways we will do that's uh, which is not typical biological influence that's a cultural uh, inheritance sure but you need a certain biological entity or predisposition to be able to understand the language so when a new when a child comes to the world um I mean, unless there is some yes, deformity yeah. they don't struggle to learn a language right no, so no you, but you, but that is partly because of the way the genetic influence may, and made our brain sure but then a child maybe let's say uh, if i take an example a child born in Uh, in uh, mumbai from very beginning is brought up in england yeah will not learn mumbai yeah. will learn <laughs> because the basic structure of brain is all right but then sure. what it learns what it tra- translates and transmits is on environment sure so there is cultural transmission yes. there is social transmission and there is the problem of content how do you determine the content yes. of information Uh, and that is where there's this interplay between content and context right yes. so it's not just uh, one one thing terrific terrific I, mean, i think that's a good note to end this on thanks to all of you for making it and we we'll look forward to having you soon again thank you take thank care you. great pleasure